0: Well, let's take our Bibles this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to begin to finish up this series of messages here in the next two weeks, this week and next. And the title of the message today is Navigators. Now, why is that? Well, we're going through some difficult times right now, and it's, we remind ourselves there's always been difficult times. And yet, when we go through hard times, we need leadership to help us to navigate through. Lee Iacocca, was uh, famous for uh, the Ford Mustang, kind of creating that or leading the way in creating that for Ford. Then he took over Chrysler in 1978 when it was about to go under. It was about to completely go bankrupt. He took it over, he got a loan or kind of a gift really from the, the government. And then he went about creating some new cars that would get better gas mileage and he saved the company for another 30 years. And then it was sold out in 2009 Uh, during the uh, recession. But Lee Iacocca was a leader who came on board to say, I I know what what my responsibility is, and he led the way in rescuing a company. Adrian Rogers used to pastor in First Baptist Church of Merritt Island, Florida, one of the great pastors of the 20th century. Uh, For me, he would be kind of like a prince of preachers. And he pastored there, and he left a church running around, I don't know, 1,500 or so, People at the time to go to a church running around 500 people called Bellevue Baptist Church. Now, the reason that was significant uh, there in Memphis, Tennessee, is that R.G. Lee, who was one of the great preachers of another era, had pastored there for many, many years, and and the church just flourished. Now it was going through a hard time. As a matter of fact, it was going through such a hard time that they were on hard times. They called upon a leader, Adrian Rogers, and when Dr. Rogers died just a few years ago, at the age of 73, he'd been there many, many years, and the church had grown to over 15,000 people as far as membership is concerned. Someone coming along in a leadership role to rescue things. It's been said that everything rises and falls on leadership, and it's, there's, not, there's not an accident here that this passage is fitting right in between two passages, that Peter's talking about suffering in chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. And really, the whole book is about that. The Church of the Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, we're going through rough times, a lot of persecution as we've gone over time and time again each week. But chapter 4, verses 12 through 19 is really the central focus, really, of the entire text the entire book of 1 Peter. Then he finishes up, beginning in verse 6, talking about suffering again and the spiritual attack that comes through that suffering. In between, sandwiched in between, suddenly he talks about pastors. He talks about leaders because Peter is saying, he said, he's saying that pastors are needed and must step up to the plate to navigate the church through troubled waters. And in this passage, as we prepare to ordain Ryan, perfect, a perfect passage for this Sunday. And as we look at this passage, I know that a lot of it may be, uh, you know, directed toward him or directed toward me, probably more of a directed toward the senior pastor than anyone else. But there's also some great truths here for every single member of the church and every single person attending. We want to look at this passage, these five verses, the roles of the pastor, responsibilities of the pastor, the rewards, and finally, our response to the pastor. First of all, I want us to see there are three basic words describing the pastor in this passage. Before I do that, look in verse two it should shepherd the flock. I think that as we look at the roles and responsibilities of a pastor, We need to realize what the Bible refers us to as, and that is sheep. Now, I realize that that may be insulting to us, but all the way through the Old Testament, where it talks about Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd, it talks about God guiding us through rough times, and He is the chief shepherd. He's called in John, the good shepherd, all the way through the Old Testament, the New Testament, we find time and time again that we're referred to as sheep. It's amazing to me that um, Joyce Bear, who is the, uh, I think he's, she's on The View. I never watched that show, by the way. I want to say that. I don't watch the show. Uh, it probably comes in a time where I'm working anyway, but I do get some, some feedback and some news articles from what they say. And she was quoted as saying that we are not individualists like we think we are. We are like sheep. And maybe that's the only time she ever agreed with anything in the Bible. I don't know. Again, I don't know her. You know, I'm just saying that she said that, and and it's really true. And the Bible, in fact, uh, Philip Keller said this in one of his books. It is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and the human beings is similar in many ways. Sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. They don't know where to feed themselves. They don't know where to water themselves. Now, I'm a sheep just like you. Now, I'm a shepherd, the fact that I'm a pastor, but I'm first and foremost a sheep. Now, you think about us as American rugged individualists, but yet... I could probably talk to any five people in any one generation and figure out what that generation believes. And really, it's, it's even more true, perhaps, in um, the community of millennials because they have emphasized more than any other probably generation the community of being together and a community opinion. Now, the problem is, is that in times past, sometimes our opinions... That groupthink has come through the church and spread throughout the world. Now it's coming from the world and spreading into the church. We may say, for example, that we baptized a little bit, make, make it more spiritual. But many of our opinions come from the rest of the world. And so God says, look, you need a shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. He gives us the word of God to guide us. But once we get away from the word of God... We, we, we become more illogical. People are saying today, well, some of the things that people are doing and people are saying uh, today in the media and, and really doing things on the street and everything like that, that it, it's not logical. Well, welcome to the human race because we've been illogical all along. It's just that the more we get away from the truth of Scripture, the more illogical we respond. And so God says you need a shepherd. Now, you also need a human shepherd as well as a spiritual shepherd in Christ. And that human shepherding comes from what the Bible refers to as an elder, a shepherd or pastor, and an overseer or bishop. Now, I know that some denominations will say, well, a bishop, someone is maybe in charge of a lot of different churches. And then there's the shepherd role and then the elder role, the kind of a ruling elder and uh, there are lay people as well as pastors in the church. But if you were to really study the Bible w- without a claim, without, without any uh, prejudice, you would have to say that the elder shepherd or pastor and overseer or bishop are one of the same office. It's just the same person with three different functions. So let's look at them. Verse 1. So I exhort, I encourage, I push forward the elders among you. As a fellow elder, now uh, Peter's basically saying, look, I identify with you, but Peter calling himself a, a fellow elder is like the governor of Florida just saying, hey, I'm one of you, you guys. You know, I'm just a, a regular worker guy. No, uh, Peter was a special guy. He was an apostle. He was with Jesus when all this was going on. In fact, he gives us his credentials and the rest of the book. He says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I was there. I was there, I I saw him and what happened to him on the cross. And he goes on to say, I'm a witness of the sufferings and as well as a partaker uh, in the glory that is going to be revealed. And he'll reveal what that's gonna be in verse four. But he's saying, look, I'm gonna be rewarded like others, other pastors when Jesus comes back again. And so he gives us his credentials and he's saying, look, I'm a fellow elder. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word elder comes from the word mature and is generally, not always, but generally referred to in the Bible as someone maybe 40 years of age and older. And it has to do with wisdom and counseling uh, in the the original language. But we find that in the Old Testament, it had sort of a different meaning, even though it also had a different word since it was Hebrew and not, not Greek. But there's six references in Acts. To the word elder, four of them have to do uh, addressing the Jewish population in Jerusalem, and in the background of this, Jewish leadership were were like elders. In fact, when we talk about the word Sanhedrin, where Jesus was tried, and and Paul had to, to, to uh, go before the Sanhedrin, the, the judges, the council of the Jewish leaders it comes from the idea of elder and so what he's saying is here as an elder his function was to lead his function was to guide his function was to be a visionary and to give some clarity and some counsel to what was going on in the in Peter's day and it's it's our job to put the word of god out there and so we can give some counsel so we as pastors can give some perspective of what's going on in the rest of the world. Now, I know that when we talk about leadership, automatically you're thinking, well, the pastor's just sort of tooting his own horn. He's just trying to benefit himself. Why do you think so many pastors don't preach in this passage? Uh, Why do you think when they go over chapter 5, they kind of breeze over these four or five verses? Because it sounds like we're just sort of trying to help ourselves out Now, let me just say this before I get into the rest of the message. This is a great time for me to bring this message. And I think God has ordained it because I've never, we've never been, I've never been, I can't remember a time. Let me put it that way. I can't remember a time where we have been more unified than we are today and more on mission and determination and a vision than we are today. I can't think of a time like that. There's been times when we haven't been. And I would feel very strange about preaching out of this passage. But we think also that leadership is something to be, uh, to be desired. And we think it's something that, boy, we're, it's just a wonderful thing. You're, you're on the inside. You, you know what's going on when you're leading. You can take other people and use them for your own use and your own good and your own glory. But keep in mind... When you are in politics, for example, you have paid people that you lead. When you're in business, you have paid people that you lead. In this line of work, you have a few people that you pay to lead. The rest are volunteers. You don't have to follow. It's a different world altogether. In fact, John Bassanio, the former pastor of First Baptist Church of Houston and one of my heroes in the faith, Pastor at First Baptist Church in Houston for many, many years, and when he graduated from school, uh, there were 66, I think it was 66 guys that were going to go into the pastoral ministry. He took all their names down and kept up with them over the years, and only four of them retired as pastors. The rest of them did something else. It's not something that's an easy job. There's, there's stress involved. I remember talking to a guy not too long ago, and I said, well, how does retirement feel? I mean, my goodness, don't, don't you miss the pastoring? And uh, he said, I sure do. He said, I miss the people, I miss the preaching. But he said, i tell you something I don't miss. And I said, what's that? And he said, making decisions that affect hundreds of people's of lives and millions of dollars. There's more to pastoring than just preaching the word. And the, the leading of it all has, in fact, Adrian Rogers said it best. He says, Pat, church ought to be pastor-led, deacon served, committee organized, and congregationally approved. Let me just share with you this way. When we get to heaven, we're all gonna be given account for our stewardship. Your talents, you're gonna give an account for. You're gonna give an account for the money that you've had and what you did with that your calling in life, your church ministry. Everyone's gonna give an account for the stewardship that God has given you. The stewardship that God has given me is, is my family, but he's also given me a calling, a church. And when I go before the Lord, I'm gonna to have to give an account for the, uh, the temperature of this church, the, uh, give an account for the results of this church. For example, no one here is gonna be asked by God why didn't you lead more people to Jesus Christ at Cross Life Church? I will have to give an account for that. No one's going to have to give an account for uh, how, how, much, how much you did in missions. I'm going to have to give them an account for that. Now, you're going to have to give an account for your own personal witnessing and your own personal involvement in missions. I'm not saying that. But the church as a whole, I'm going to give an account. I'm going to be held responsible for the health and the well-being and the mission of this church. It's on my shoulders when I stand before God. Now, if I'm going to give, be given that re- responsibility, I must be given the authority to carry out that responsibility, or else it's going to be uh, very unfair. And God says, Look, one of the things that you need to do in navigating the church through troubled waters, and you need to step up to the plate and you need to lead, but you also need to shepherd. Look in verse 2 Shepherd the flock. Simple as that. He doesn't elaborate on that. What does it mean to shepherd? Well, you guide the sheep. You guard the sheep from false doctrine. You care for the sheep. You have a pastor's heart. You feed the sheep. In fact, he told, uh, Jesus told Peter in the end of the book of John in chapter 21, he says, Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul told Timothy, he says, preach the word be ready in season and out of season, repute, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and complete with complete patience and teaching. And the Old Testament, Jeremiah the prophet got so frustrated with God, so disappointed and disillusioned that he said, I'm not preaching anymore. I'm just not going to do it. But he said, the word of God was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing his one version says, and I could not refrain. I could not stop preaching the word because of the burden. Paul had that burden. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. My life verses say something like this. My speech and my preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Then Paul said, for if I don't preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting for necessity is laid upon me. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. They were following in the teaching of God's word and the preaching of God's word. Not what people want to hear, not what people think They want to hear, but what they need to hear, they need to hear the word of God to navigate through the suffering and the persecution and the storms of life. Notice then, it says, shepherding the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. That is the word bishop, and it has to do with leadership, but it's more of a a management tool. Everyday leadership, not just the vision, but everyday leadership that happens, and you, what, you, what do you do? Well, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, we equip the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. In fact, it's been said that really pastors, I think Rick Warren said this, pastors are really the ad ministers. A-D-D, add. We add to the ministry because we train people to do the work of the ministry and then do the behind-the-scenes work to add minister things so you can use your spiritual gift to minister to the people around you. We're bishops, overseers. Now, what's the the responsibilities then? What are the responsibilities of a pastor as we get a chance here in just a moment to ordain Ryan? It says here that you exercise oversight, not under compulsion. Now, there are three things here. Again, three things. Three things that he gives a negative and then a positive. Three things. He says, first of all, not under compulsion, but willingly. Not under compulsion, Not not that you have to do it. There's an attitude here. And it's warning against laziness. It's warning against just going through the motions and not doing what you need to do. Acts 20, verse 28. The Bible says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, he paid for the church, you, as the body of Christ, with his own blood. We're talking about something that's very crucial here. We're talking about something that's extremely important. And it says, for someone just to go through the motions... And just simply go through the motions and and work as little as possible and just get by. Paul says, or rather the Bible, Peter says, I have no patience with that. That's not what you're called to do. You're called to do it not because you have to, but because you want to. The heart of the pastor is to have a burden for the people. And if you don't have a heart for past the pastorate, you don't need to be pastoring. So when you know, I'm a good preacher, a good administrator. I think I can develop a heart for pastoring. No, you, you either, it comes from a love of people. Either you have it or you don't. And you can work on it, but it's a spiritual work on it. It's just sort of like what the music guy said one time. He says, don't, don't try to teach a pig to, to sing. He said, it won't work and the pig will just get frustrated with you. So you, you, can't, you can't teach that. But he says also, he says, first of all, not under compulsion, Man, if I can just come back to that just for a second. You know, there, sometimes there's a misunderstanding in, in the body. And surely, as Ryan uh, changes jobs here at our church, he has been part of the, uh, the staff family. In fact, no one comes on staff anymore here unless they first meet with the rest of the ministers to make sure they're going to fit into our ministry and they, they feel like they, they, there's a level of comfort there. So there's a family unit going on. But that's not the reason why we're here. We're not here just to be together. We're not here at Cross Life Church just to have a staff family. This is the family. This is the real family. This, the church is the real family. And really, everyone... Is called on this church on this church staff to help me minister and shepherd the church family. You can't just simply say, "Well, this guy, yeah, man, he's part of the family." And, you know, you have to tell, maybe you know Paul. You know, it's like Paul telling Timothy, "Well, you know, man, I just love Timothy so much, but I have to tell him everything on Monday to do, and maybe he'll get it done. Maybe he won't get it done. We just don't know. But man, we just we just love Timothy." No, there's something crucial here. This is an important job. It's crucial. Everyone goes through troubled waters every day. Sometimes nations go through it periodically, like we're going through it right now. Churches go through it. You have to have someone to navigate the waters. And so then he says, not for a profit, but eagerly. In verse 2, he says... Not for shameful gain, shameful gain. In other words, there's a shame here involved. There's something that you would do that would be inappropriate in gaining that money. I would say this, I know how much Ryan's gonna make and I promise you he's not in it for the money. So let's just move on. Um, But it's not for, I know that uh, everyone wants a servant without a claim. You want a pastor that uh, is, is definitely not rich And you want him to be in it for the ministry and not the money. Let me share with you that I don't know anyone personally that's in the ministry for the money. I don't know that person. I can look, and I was thinking about this as I was thinking about this sermon. And I I hate to name names. Well, let me name some names. Jack Graham is the pastor of Prestonwood Baptist Church, Plano, Texas, probably a membership of about 20, 15, 20,000. And I don't know how much he makes more than I do, but I don't know how much he makes. All right. But if you were to take those same talents, same calling, in fact, if he were not a pastor, he has the ability to go into a, a business, a CEO of a large company, president of a large company. That's what he would be doing. I'm sure if that was his calling, he's got the talent to do it. He'd be making five, maybe ten times, maybe more than what he's making now with all the, all the stock options they give to CEOs today. And even the small church pastor. Most of the pastors in America, and really in the world, but we'll just take America, are on the poverty level. They're really close to it. Their wife has to work just so they can make it in their small church. They're a one-staff church. That's what they do. Now, if you were to take even that guy and say, give him another job, a good job, like... UPS, post office, working in a grocery store, working in a good job in a factory, or any job in a factory, he would still be making more than he's making pastoring that small church. It's not about the money. In fact, the Bible says this, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of a double honor. That's double pay. So uh, somebody said one time, well, oh, that's not talking about money. No, that's it. Read the passage. 1 Peter chapter 5 Verse 17, read the verses before, read the verses after. Paul is exactly not talking about anything else. Not talking about awards. He's not talking about uh, gift cards. He's not talking about trips. He's saying a double honor. He's talking about pay. That's what he's saying. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. I know that we have people out there that are just milking their their congregations and i know that uh, people are sending their checks to them or whatever and and they're getting richer and richer and richer but that is a very small percent maybe 1% of everything else but he says you don't do it you don't do it for the paycheck you do it willingly but then he says not domineering but as an example not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. He's saying, don't take advantage. There's a temptation here, an attitude to take advantage of your position. And let me share this. You, you don't do that often. You, you, you can't get by with that very much, very much. In, in most churches, you just can't. I remember a time when the staff was uh, years ago, we were going into uh, friendlies. I don't know if it's still open or not up here on uh, near the university. And uh, we went there and we came out. We're all standing around the parking lot. And uh, uh, one of the staff members was giving my daughter a hard time. She was uh, young at that time. Uh, about one of her friends. Kind of giving her a hard time. Kind of joking and everything. And my daughter, who was probably about seven, eight years old at the time, looked up to me and said, Daddy, fire him. <laughs> well, we all laughed too. Man, it was funny. But he was kind of embarrassed. And he, he kind, of looked, kind of shook up there a little bit. And she says, well, you can, can't you? She's kind of feisty, you know. And I just laughed and I said, yeah, I could do it, but I could only do it one time, you know. You can't take advantage of your position without it telling on you really, really quickly. There's a warning here against pride, the power-hungry society that we live in. And that's what sometimes is a big, big rejection with pastors, If they show leadership, people just think, oh, they're just after power, just like the politicians, just like the business people, just like the people I work for, just like this person trying to climb the ladder. A lot lot of ambition. Listen, there's two things you need to ask about yourself, about a pastor, your pastor, wherever you are, whatever church you go to, because a lot of people are watching, I know by video, and that is this. Does he preach the word of God, number one, and number two... Does he put the church above his own ambitions? If he does that, you've got, probably got a good pastor. He says here, a warning against pride. He says, instead of doing that, you need to set the example. Paul even said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I love this passage or this little uh, excerpt from uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the la- la- two centuries ago. He says, remember, you are God's sword, talking about the pastor. His instrument, I trust a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name in great measure according to the purity and perfection of the instrument will be the success. It is not great talent. God blesses so much as a likeness to Jesus. Now listen to this quote from, he he quotes from Robert Murray McShane, very famous quote. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. Amen? Being an example. Set the example. Don't ask people to do things that you're not willing to do yourself. Thirdly, the reward. Well, I don't have a lot of time to spend here, but it says when the chief shepherd appears, we will receive an unfading crown of glory. This crown of glory is a victor, victor's crown. It comes from the word stephanos, which means a victor's crown. And you will we'll be able to lay it at the feet of Jesus. There's reward in the life to come. Then the response to the pastor. Look in verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. He started off this whole passage in chapter two and verse 13. Be subject in the Lord's, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, and it goes on to talk about governors, but it's also talking about family. We talked about that, chapter three, and now even in the church, because without a response to leadership, you can't move forward. It's one thing for the, for the captain of the ship. when During a storm, the storm's raging one side and then another. And he commands people, he, he yells out instruction for the sails and for the rowers. But if there's no rowers, they can't save the ship. If there's no one manning the sails, there's no one there, if somebody says, well, you know, I got a better idea. I think instead of rowing, I think we ought to just sort of float along and see what happens. And somebody else says, "Yeah, I think that's fine. You, you can't do that. You can't. You've got to go by, and in this, in, in the church's case, the one who's called to lead. In fact, it says this. He talks about younger, younger people. It's really just talking about younger pastors who think maybe, hey, I, I want to lead right now. He says, be patient. Be patient but he talks about there's three things I'd like to say in closing that you need to do and respond to Ryan rest of the staff and myself as well or whoever your pastor may be it says I think <clears throat> <clears throat> sorry I got all choked up <clears throat> first of all <clears throat> we need to follow somebody grab maybe um, Some water right there for me. Thanks. Appreciate it. Is that better? All right. All right. Just need a sip of water. First of all, follow. Follow us in all humility, follow the leadership. Otherwise you're not going to go anywhere. And so better than me to say it, let God say it. It says in Hebrews thirteen, seventeen, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls. He's talking about here the church, the pastors. As those those who are given account, pastors are going to give the account. And you're going to give the account for following. Listen to this. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What does it mean by that? It says, Look, when you don't follow, when you give any pastor grief, and again, if they're not putting the church ahead of their own ambitions, that's one thing. You need to address that. If they're not preaching the Word of God, doing their job, whatever their job is, and not doing it with fervency, then you need to, we need to address that through proper channels. But just to give a guy grief, here's what happens. There's no joy in the ministry. Now, thank God I, there's joy in the ministry here. But there was a time, there have been times in my ministry that there'd been no joy in the ministry. Have you ever been to a church and you think to yourself, wow, there just seems to be a cloud over this church. And, uh, you know, you, you come in, the place is packed out, but you just think, wow, I just don't feel at home here like a cloud. Well, the clouds, probably there's no joy in the pastor's life. And if there's no joy in his life, you can bet there's no, probably no joy in the staff's life, if you know what I'm saying. No joy in the staff's life, no joy then in the leaders, lay leaders' lives. And there's no joy there. There's no joy in the rest of the church. And everybody's coming grumbling and more, the less joy there is, the more grumbling there is. And it affects your kids. The kids think to themselves, I don't want to go to church anymore. Why would I want to go to church? It's just an unhappy place. It affects everybody. And so when you come and give a pastor grief, just, and you give him grief because you're not going through the proper channels and you don't have the right motivation, whatever it is, you just you want maybe power in your own life or power in the church, whatever it may be. When there's no joy in the pastor's life, there's no joy in the church. It affects even your children, probably eventually your grandchildren. Why would you want to do that? The Bible says, "Not with joy, not with groaning. It's, it's, it is my responsibility to lead, but then it's a responsibility to serve. Not only to lead or, or, or to follow, but to serve. There's no more disheartening thing for our staff to go through and say, so I just can't find anybody to take these positions. I mean, we've, we've got 2,000 people out there that don't have jobs in the church, and they're not involved in what, what we're doing. They don't believe in the mission to serve somewhere, get involved somewhere. Listen, it's not just a matter of coming to church these days. It's engagement. Are you engaged maybe in that class or engaged in some kind of ministry, serving? And then lastly, as I close, pray for them. We need need prayer. The higher you go up in leadership, the higher you go up in leadership, the higher you go up on Satan's hit list. I would say this, and I know that you have to think about this for just a moment, but pastors need prayer more than anybody else in the church. The higher you go up in leadership, the higher you go up on Satan's hit list. It talks more about that in 1 Peter 5, 8, and that'll be next week. But the story goes, John Vaughn, who writes a lot of these books about church growth and, and the 100 fastest growing churches in America and all these kind of articles, was here at our church, actually. He, was, he brought his class um, and his seminar to Orlando, and we were the church that he visited one day, and I gave some leadership lessons. They walked around the church, and we, this is several years ago. And so he is really, I'm a fan, he, He's for, for many, many years. He tells a story about being on a plane, and he was on this plane, sitting beside this guy, and he was thinking, how am I going to witness to this? How am I going to share my faith? He doesn't seem to be really open, not talkative at all. Well, the meals come, and he just says, no, I, he's, you know, John Vaughn orders his meal, his chicken, I guess, and uh, the next guy to him said, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care for anything, and so um, the food came, and and. John was John was trying to just strike up a conversation with him. And he said, you know, you really ought to eat this. This is not too bad for airplane food. And he says, no, I'm fasting. And he thought, oh, a Christian. He said, what church do you go to? He said, I go to the church of Satan. True story. He said, I'm from Canada and we're praying for all the pastors in Canada to fall. And we're specifically praying that they would fall because of family issues. And I'm in charge of five pastors. I've got to pray for, fast and pray for them this week that they would fall from the ministry. Sobering. The higher you go up in leadership, the higher you go up on Satan's hit list. Serve, follow, pray. Pray. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.